launching right now today in a brand new series. Uh, We decided to go with no strings attached, but the message of the day is actually strings attached. I've had just a couple of people walk up to me and ask me why I am dressed in such fashion this morning, that it's not usually what he wears. All the 30-year-olds and under are just now realizing, you know what, he don't dress, usually dress like that. I thought he looked better than normal. Everybody over that age is wondering what I was thinking and why my wife didn't pick out me better outfit this morning. I'm going to bring purpose by the end of, uh, by the end of this message. I, I'm so old, I can't even remember what it's called whenever you dress like stuff like this. So my, my, my sister always says, man, that's the most, and I can't remember the word because that's just who I am and how old of a soul I am on the, on the inside. In this new series next week, we're going to talk about singleness. Singleness. Did you know that singleness is actually biblically preferred over marriage? We're going to talk about that next week. The week after that, we're going to discuss a plan for purity. We're not just going to assume that we're going to be pure, because if you assume that you will be pure, then you will be impure, because most people fall down, not up. Come on. And the week after that, we're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about relationships. And it's all going to fit, because your singleness and your relationship with Jesus is just as important as my marriage and my relationship with Jesus. So there's going to be something for everyone in this series, and we're all going to learn together. By the end of it, I hope that the only person that we are connected to is our Savior and our spouse, and we leave everything else behind, or maybe just our Savior. I want to expose some misconceptions for sure, Um, Some of these are a little bit of a personal soapbox, but I'm going to explain why they're a personal soapbox. I believe some of them are actually a deception, not just a misconception, but an actual deception, possibly even from powers and principalities of darkness. The the first misconception for sure is, um, don't worry, there's someone for everyone. Remember, this series is about relationships, relationships with Jesus and relationships with one another. And you're the 1115 service. You have no reason for being tired, okay? You, you are without excuse for being tired. So the first misconception is, oh, there's someone for everyone. Don't you worry. There's a soulmate being saved for you. Well, you know what? There may not be. I'm just statistically. Um, recently, the most recent statistic is that There are actually 101 men to every 100 women in the world. Some statistics are as high as 105, 105 men to 100. And then in some cultures, it's okay to have multiple wives. So they're really robbing us blind. Come on. Now, there are some countries, uh, if you go look into this, there are some countries that, that have a higher ratio of women to men, but I'm not going to tell you what those countries are because I don't want all the single men to leave Eunice and go live in those countries. That's not what this message is about. The truth is there may not be some individual for every individual, but there is this one for anyone. In fact, the Bible says it this way, whoever calls upon his name. 
I'm going to get more into that as we discuss singleness. Here's another one. Uh, You're single. Is there something wrong with you? Is there something wrong with you? Like, we live in a generation where if you get to be 21, 22 years old, you begin to feel the pressure of getting married because everybody else around you is getting married, or at least they're in relationships that looks like they're already married, which is also, just for the record, extremely unbiblical. Okay, so, so one of those two things is happening, and we feel pressure, but listen to me, that pressure is not from heaven. That pressure is from the perspective of the culture in which we live. God may be calling you to singleness. And listen to me, you will never be happy with your spouse until you're content in Christ. Like if he's not your only one, then it doesn't matter who he sends you. You will never be fulfilled. You will always, here let me say it this way. When he's not your only one, You will spend the rest of your life looking for another one. Because nobody will ever be able to measure up to the only one that is there for everyone. There's nothing wrong with you if you're single. It's actually biblically preferred that you be single. Here's another one. This one one became popular when I was growing up. I actually bought like a fake ring and wore it for a few weeks. Have no idea where it is now. This is that you're going to recognize it. Some of you aren't going to like that I'm going here. Here's what they said. True love waits. Oh, what? (laughs) Y'all, I was 14, 15 years old. I got all this stuff stirring. True love waits until you finish high school, go to college, find a job, and then you can get married to the person that you've been spending all this time with. True love waits. No, listen to me. God is love. True love doesn't wait. It pursues you passionately until you stop running around and recognizing that he's been there the whole time. God is love. And the Bible says that you will find him when you seek him, if you seek him with all of your heart. So we need to stop teaching people that true love waits and help them understand true love standing behind them, waiting for them to turn around. God may be calling you to singleness. God may be calling you to pursue him. See, it's cute whenever we teach them and they're little. It's cute and funny, especially if you only have boys, right? But what's funny when you only have boys ain't funny to me because I got two girls. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Megan and I, were uh, we were interviewing with this this pastor to possibly go and become their youth pastor. And, and we were having a conversation. And this pastor just had one boy. One, just one, he had to worry about son. And so we're having this dating conversation. And we were having these conversations about, because I believe, just hang in there with me. I believe that I can teach my babies, the two girls and the boy, that I can teach my children that if they can trust Jesus with their soul, they can trust him with their spouse. I'm crazy enough to believe that I can raise three kids, get them all the way through high school, and have them standing at an altar where they share their first covenant. Oh, I mean kiss. Or is it covenant? Oh, yeah. Kissing is a sign of covenant. Where they share their first covenant, kiss. 
with the person that they just covenanted their soul to before God and man. I'm just crazy enough to believe that I can train and raise that kind of child that they would trust God to trust me until that day when I'm able to give them away. That pastor's comment to me was, that will never work in this culture. That will never work in this culture. To which I'll respond, well, that's good, because I ain't trying to raise anybody to fit in this culture. I'm raising people to be counterculture. I'm raising a generation that would influence the culture more than the culture is influencing them. We're not going to be a thermostat that just tells the temperature, a thermometer that just tells the temperature. We're going to be a thermostat that sets the temperature. Although everybody else may be doing it this way, as for me in my house, <laughs> I, just, I just believe crazy enough to believe that we're not setting people up for success if we think something's funny when they're seven that they're, they're going to need counseling for when they're 27. See, hang on. When I was seven, it was funny that I changed girlfriends more than I changed my underwear. True story. It was funny. It was a joke. Who's your girlfriend this week? Are you kissy kissing them? It's funny. It's cute, right? I'm seven. But when I was still doing it at 17, when I was still doing it at 21, when I had never been faithful to any single one person up to my 21st birthday, it ain't funny no more. What was amusing and cute is now condemnational and destructive. And if it ain't funny when they're seven, <laughs> it ain't funny when they're 17. Here's another one. It's okay if we love each other. Guys, I'm trying to help you today. Man, Pastor, why didn't you tell us this wasn't invite your friend to church Sunday? <laughs> Hateful. It's okay if we love each other. And then we carry all of that stuff into the next relationship, into the next relationship. And then after just a few months of being married to the person that we finally find, all that stuff begins to rear its ugly head. And instead of being gone, it's becoming multiplied because we thought marriage was the answer to our issues. It's okay if we love each other. I had somebody, man, we're living together. Everybody lives together. Preacher, everybody lives together. First of all, no, they don't. <laughs> That's an exaggeration to try to make yourself feel better about what you know you shouldn't be doing. And let me also say this. It ain't a sin for you to live with somebody. But most people sin when they're living with somebody. <laughs> unless they're married to Unless it's in holy matrimony. Now, if you're stronger than everybody else that I know in the world and you can live with somebody in complete integrity, I ain't even going to go there no further because I got all these images and ideas in my head that I don't want to paint for you. <laughs> Most people can't do it. Here's another. It's, it's okay if we love each other. We're going to get married anyway. See, the problem with that is Hollywood doesn't define love. Scripture defines love. So Hollywood has taught us that love is some kind of felt emotion that happens when we first see someone and stirs up whenever we begin to fulfill ourselves with that someone. That's what Hollywood has taught us. But in 1 Corinthians 13, you can read the biblical definition of love, and it says nothing. I've done gone there this week. I'm just letting you know. Like, it's going to happen this whole series. Like, just come on back and get you some more every week. <laughs> 
biblical definition of love has nothing to do with a feeling or an emotion. Nothing. Absolutely. This is a lie of the enemy in this culture. It has nothing to do with you getting goosebumps or butterflies or having some kind of chemical imbalance inside of you every time you see something you ain't supposed to have. (laughs) Love, according to scripture, is an action. God is love. And love in him is applied in and through the action. So actually, if you say it's okay because we love each other and you put your hand or your lips on something that doesn't belong to you or someone that you're not covenanted to, you actually do not love them when you do that. You unlove them when you do that because love is an action. Woo! We're talking about strings attached. I'm going to keep going because I'm going to show you where we're going. Here's one more, just final one. This one's funny. Culture would like for you to believe that what happens in Vegas. (laughs) No, it don't. No, it don't. If you win a million dollars in Vegas, you're going to leave that there too? Let me help you. Bring that back home. Put it in an offering. We'll take the wealth of the wicked and use it to reach eternity with souls. Come on, somebody. I have no issue with it. See, what you do, no matter where you are, follows you all the way through your life until you decide to deal with it. See, the win of this series, as, as heavy as all that is, And as gut-wrenchingly true as most of it is, at least, some of it's my personal preference. Look, if you don't like my conviction, then do it your way. Let me know how it works out. We'll compare in about 15 years. I'm an all-in kind of a guy. I believe it's justified to be that way. And I would rather be all-in and apologize at the end than be partial and wish that I would have been all-in. So when I present my daughters to the one man that God has for them. By the way, he will be a man too. Because I ain't praying for no boy for my daughter to get married to. In other words, like, I don't care how old he is. If he ain't got a job and he's still living with his mama, he can't have my offering. Because this is the most valuable thing I have to offer. And no, I ain't putting her in a vehicle with some young idiot to take her places that I may or may not know where they're going. That's my offering. It's my responsibility. You can't have her until you're ready to put a ring on it. That's just the way that I've become. But I've become that way because of the scars that I had to recover from from not operating that way. That's the reason that I'm so passionate about this soapbox here's the win the win is when you expose the deception when you expose the enemy he becomes bound instead of you i thought i'd get more amens than that when you when you let me take it further the bible says that when you expose the thief He is bound by the word of God, not to just be bound instead of you, but to actually repay you seven times what he tried to steal. When you expose the enemy, you take the bondage off of you and you begin to walk in the freedom that he was actually walking in because you were bound. The truth is 
The win is that the power of the gospel is Jesus paid one time for every single sin by every single person once and for all time. So it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. You don't have to carry it any further because the debt's already been paid. Paul wrote about it this way. He said it this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. One who has died has been set free from sin. Everybody wants to be set free. Nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven. (laughs) But nobody wants to take their last breath. Everybody wants to be resurrected, but nobody wants to be crucified. But Paul says, when you die to whatever it was that we're talking about... It is not until you die that you actually begin to experience the freedom that Jesus purchased for you from the sin that you were a slave to. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Watch this last part and just leave that there for just a second. But the life he lives, he lives to God. See, God doesn't want you to just let go of the way that you have been living. He wants you to grab hold of how he wants you to live. He doesn't want you to just remove everything that you're not supposed to be doing. He wants to replace it with the things that he has for you to do. The church, my church, maybe not yours, but but my church, growing up, I learned a lot about what I wasn't supposed to be doing. But I never really registered with me all the things that God did have for me to do. The church as a whole has done a pretty good job at telling people what they should remove from their lives. Are you with me? They haven't, we haven't done quite as good of a job telling everybody what we should replace the things that we removed with. Because if you just remove it and you don't replace it, then whatever you removed in the spiritual is going to go on a recruiting trip and you're going to end up worse than you were before it was removed. But when the, the enemy comes back or the thing that you removed comes back and it's been replaced, then it has no spot to come in and it can't have you again. No strings attached. That's God's will. Here's the way he says it. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to illustrate it this way. I'm going to take you on a little biblical history, a little journey. Just put your uh, Carmen Sandiego goggles on. Some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. But just your history goggles for just a minute. And if you don't like history, just hang on. It'll be over shortly, but tune in because this is important. I'm going to take you all the way back to Noah. Uh, The same God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same God that is merciful and gracious and completely loving and holy, is the same God that is perfect and just and flooded the earth. 
because of the disobedience of all mankind. He allowed one man and his family to do exactly what he said and save all of mankind moving forward. That man's name was Noah. We know the story. He built the ark. God flooded the earth. Everybody on the ark, everything on the ark was saved. Not at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, but at the end of several months, the waters began to withdraw. Noah and his family come off of the boat. One of his sons' name was Shem, S-H-E-M. Shem began to have descendants. Ten generations and 400 years After Shem. Y'all hang on with me. I'm going somewhere. Ten generations and 400 years later, there is another man born in the line of Noah and Shem. His name was Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. About 200 years after the flood is this instance in Scripture that most of us refer to as the Tower of Babel. There is a man about five generations after Noah. His name was Eber. Eber had a son named Peleg, P-E-L-E-G. The Bible says that it was in the time of Peleg that they began to build the Tower of Babel. Peleg, I'm coming back to this, Peleg is only four generations because they lived so long at that time. Peleg is only four generations away from Abram. Abram and his father Terah, his great-grandfather, was Peleg. So Abram is a descendant, direct descendant, only a few generations apart from the man that was there when the people built the Tower of Babel. Now, here's what the Bible says about the Tower of Babel. The Bible says that God recognized that the people were building this tower. And God actually said about the people that when they put their mind to something, they had one language, they had one purpose. When they come together, one accord in one purpose, the Bible said, God said, there is nothing that will be impossible for them. So God confused their language. Are you still with me? Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Any attempt to be like God apart from God can only lead to confusion. You cannot be like God apart from God. The only way to be like God is to go through God. That's why we believe that you should go to and go through directly to and directly through Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Because any other attempt to be like God that is not directly through God will only lead to confusion for you and everybody around you. Better preaching than what you're responding to. That's okay. We're going to keep going. So the Tower of Babel, the Bible says God confused their language and all those people were dispersed. All of those people were dispersed, but Abram's family was not. Because Abram was from Ur of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the Babylonians. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, the king that led Babylon into Jerusalem, conquered Jerusalem, and led God's people into 70 years of Babylonian captivity. He was a Chaldean 
from the same area as Abram and his family. Are you with me? Don't be confused by Babylon or Chaldean. It's like me saying I'm an American Christian. I was born in the USA, I'm a citizen of America, and yet my faith is biblical Christianity. We don't have to be confused about that. The Bible says that Abram came out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram's great-great-grandfather was Peleg. He was a Chaldean of confusion. So now we understand in Genesis chapter 12... Why it was so important that God said what he said the way he said it to Abram. Look what he says in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is a, I believe this is a prophetic word for people in this place today. I've said it three times, but I believe that if you're listening to my voice, whether in this room or online later, this is prophetic for you. I believe that God is saying the same thing right now to you that he was saying to Abraham, to Abram. He's saying this, I know where you came from, but I know where I'm taking you. And if you will follow me, then I will get you there. If you don't, you may as well just stay here. God is saying, I know where you came from. I know your past, but I know where I want to take you. I have a future, but you're going to have to come out of this in order to get into this. If you want what I have, then you will have to forsake all the rest and begin to truly follow me. Verse 2 says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then you can keep reading about the blessing and the promise of Abraham. Abraham, not changed name to Abraham yet. He answered this call. He left this land with actually his father, Terah. And uh, a few family members, and they went, and the Bible says they went into the land of the Canaanites. They went to Canaan. And they actually had a great experience there. They set up an altar, but they kept traveling for some reason because he just couldn't get the old out of him. He was a wanderer, and he kept wandering. So he wandered right past the land that God had promised him for whatever reason. And he gets into another area, and the Bible says a great famine hits that area. And then Abram takes his family down to Egypt, one of the other areas that the people had formed after the Tower of Babel confused their language. So he takes his family down to Egypt. The leader of Egypt, a pharaoh, a king, was in charge in that place. And Abram was afraid because he had a beautiful wife. I carry that same fear. She's so much prettier than me. I just don't like to take her places. I don't want people being confused. He walked in there. Here's where Abram and I differ. Abram wasn't just married to Sarah. Sarah, biblically, was actually his half-sister. I don't understand it either. We're not going to get stuck on it. We're just going to keep on rolling, okay? So when Abram told Pharaoh, this is my sister, and Pharaoh took her into his home, and then his home became cursed, when Abram told Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister, he actually wasn't lying, he was only telling a partial truth, but it still cursed Pharaoh, and it still cursed Abram. Even a partial truth will cost you the whole truth if you don't be honest to the people, including yourself. Okay, So Abram married his sister wife, 
which is funny because there's like a show and stuff that they do that came back full circle around. And, and he recovered from this. Fast forward, Abram and Sarah, now named Abraham, have a son named Isaac. Isaac, a little later, marries his second cousin, Rebecca. It's not his sister. We're doing better. Come on. I don't understand it either. We're just going to keep on rolling. <laughs> there's a hundred women to every hundred and one men. I'm going to find one ain't my cousin or sister. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so, so Isaac, married to his second cousin, makes the same mistake of his father, except for he doesn't just make that mistake. He multiplies it. Because when you don't deal with your sin and you begin to involve other people, hashtag marriage, you don't just continue in your own mistake. You begin to multiply the mistakes that you were making because those relationships are not the answer to your issues. Isaac says the same thing to the Amorite king in this land that his father had said to the Egyptian king in the land before. Except for this time when he calls Rebekah his sister, it's not a partial truth, it's a whole lie. Rebecca then has two sons. Remember, we started off with Noah and the flood. Pelig in the Tower of Babel. The great-great-grandfather of Abram, Isaac. And now Isaac with Rebecca has two twin boys. One of them's Harry. No, his name's Esau, but he, apparently he was a fuzzy little dude. He came out first. And then the second one's name was Jacked Up. I mean, Jacob. You can understand, if you look at his history... Why there was so much wrong with his story. He is born and named deception. He can trace his deception, his dysfunction, his disobedience all the way back to Pelig, who tried to be like God, but apart from God. He was born a certain way, but he did not, come on somebody, Jacob did not get to blame his birth on what he became as an adult. Even though it was in him. This man was messed up. But I can promise you this. I need our guys to come start setting up the weights I can promise you, just like God showed Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, later known as Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, I can promise you that my father's promise is always stronger than my family's past. See, we want relationships with Jesus and with others that have no strings attached. But we've got all this past and all these problems and all this pain and all these issues. And we want to be free in Jesus' name, but we've got this bondage of our own decisions and our own genealogy. And we're laden with all of these issues. I want to live for Jesus. I want to have pure relationships. I want to have pure friendships, but I've got all of this stuff that I've done and things that have been done to me, and so I'm struggling. I want to lift my hands like this, but I have to pray in public as if I'm stuck and stunned in private because I've got all these strings and all these issues. I want to worship God freely, but I can't. 
Because I know where I came from. And I know that my dad was divorced three times before his 45th birthday. And so I've got divorce running in my line. I remember the VHS tape that I watched at 11 years old at a friend's house who had an older brother with a movie he shouldn't have had. And we all saw it. And I was instantly ignited in places that I didn't know I had in me, but places that I would continue to struggle with for the next 10 to 15 years. And I'm trying to go to church and lift my hands in the sanctuary, but I'm tied to all this stuff in the secret. And it's hard to worship Jesus in the sanctuary when you know what you're tied to in secret. It's hard to worship Jesus in public when you know who you are in private. I picked up my family's addictions. I got a grandfather, a great-grandfather, tricksters, swindlers. We got alcoholism and addiction in our family. We've got depression and anxiety in our family. Why am I responding in anger this way? Why do I have this anxiety? It's just in me. No, 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 it's a string in you. Why am I attracted to every person that walks past me? Instead of just staying engaged and in tune to the one that God gave me. Why do we have identity crisis? Gender attraction and gender affiliation. Why such a struggle? Well, I was born this way. Listen, friend, you may have been born this way, but that doesn't mean that God made you that way. Sin made us this way. Jacob, I know it's not your fault, but our birth doesn't get to establish who we become. And we don't have to stay stuck in the things that Jesus has already paid for. Let me give you a couple of examples. Can I just say that if the only time that you talk to God is when you feel so bad about this stuff that you just have to ask for forgiveness over and over again, if the only time that you talk to God is when you did something wrong or when something goes wrong, your prayer life is not going to be as powerful as it was paid for to be. It's not going to be as powerful as it was, did you hear me? Paid for to be. These strings that we have, come on, cover me. These strings that we have, our habits. Some of these habits I developed. Some of them I just inherited. Like, I don't even want to be the way that I am sometimes. And it doesn't matter what I experience on Sunday. Every Monday, I still wake up with me. And I have these habits. And I try to hide in these habits. Because it's always easier to hide than it is to be exposed. It's always easier to try to take a bush and cover myself up than it is to stand in shame in front of everybody. I've got these hobbies. I try to cover the pain in, in more fun. Who, who cares about all the people that I had to leave in order to entertain myself? I just, I need a moment. I need a minute. And I'm not saying that these things are sin unless you're using those things to cover up or to deal with the sin. Maybe you're using them to deal with the strings. See, all those things, they turn into hindrances for me. Like, I'm trying to move forward, but I'm stuck. I'm trying to move forward, but I'm still miserable. And there's not enough medication in this world to fix what only Jesus can deal with. 
I'm not saying those things are evil. I'm saying they're not the answer. They can be used by God. My addiction, the fact that I was never faithful to anybody all the way up to the day that I met my bride-to-be. I wasn't faithful to her for the first two years because when you take two kids living in dysfunction and you put them together, it doesn't stop. It ain't like two negatives equal a positive. No, we became more dysfunctional together than we were apart. And then we come to this headway and I'm like, I know I need to live for Jesus. You can follow me as I follow Christ. I've got these issues, I've got this shame, I've got this sin, I've got this addiction, I've got this struggle. My dad was this way, my grandparents were this way. I don't even know what in the world my great and great grandparents did, but there ain't no telling what it is, but it's probably in me. But if you'll just follow Jesus, as long as I'm following him, you can trust God to trust me because I'm not gonna keep holding on to the things whenever I know that Jesus wanted me to worship him freely in spirit and truth. So I'm gonna learn how to lift my hands in the sanctuary even when I don't know what's coming. I still may be stuck a little bit, and the more I worship, the more I realized how stuck I was. So all of a sudden, I began to deal with some of these weights in the name of Jesus on my own. And I began to cast them off because some of them I can reach and some of them I can do something about. But there's some of them that stuck to me and I don't know why and I can't even do anything about them. Thank God the Bible says that His glory is my rear guard. I don't have to stay stuck to the strings and the sin and the shame of my past. I can cast off every weight in the name of Jesus and I can be covered in the blood. I can take off the old. I can put on the new. And that which I used to be tied to is now set loose from my life. I'm no longer stuck and dead in the sin of my past. I'm alive in Jesus' name. My addiction is covered in the blood. My past is covered in the blood. My shame is covered in the blood. My struggle is covered in the blood. Chris and Isaac and Abram and Jacob are no longer Chris and Isaac and Abram and Jacob. When God looks at me, he says Christ. When God looks at Abram, he sees Abraham. He doesn't remember the name that I used to be. He remembers the name that he put on me. And his name is Jesus. He is the one that breaks every chain, that cuts every stream. He is the one that is the author and the perfecter or the finisher. So when the author of Hebrews wrote it this way, he said, cast off all the weight. The weight that other people tried to put on you, the weight that you didn't put on yourself, but somebody else had put on you, the weight that you woke up with. I don't want to feel this way. Good. Stop letting your faith follow your feelings. You live by faith and not by sight, and your feelings will get in line, baby. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to live this way. So I don't just remove the old. I replace it with something new. I'm dead. Dead to the old. I cast off the weight and the sin that so easily entangled me. And I'll run with endurance the race that has been set before me. Chapter 12, verse 2 says it this way. 
You want to fix yourself? You can't. (laughs) Sorry. There ain't enough self-help in this world. If you want to fix you, you start by fixing your eyes. Looking unto Jesus, the founder, the author, Come on, the perfecter. The story's not over. I may be down, but I'm not done. He's still holding the pen, and he's still making a way where there seemed to be no way. He knows where I came from, but baby, he knows where I'm going. He knows who I was, but he knows who he's called me to be. And I'm trading my past. I'm trading my sin. I'm trading my shame for his salvation, for his plan, and for his future unto me and all the nations to make his name great unto my children and my children's children. I will break the genealogical pain and the genealogical strings of my past so that my children get to live and breathe free indeed as Jesus paid for them to be. I'm going to sing a new song. I'm going to dance like David. I'm going to shod my feet with the gospel of peace. I will run and not grow weary. I will walk and not grow faint because I'm not carrying that weight. I've traded it for a cross. And I realize it's not nearly as heavy as what I was carrying. For the joy set before him he endured the cross he said I'd rather die like this than live like that I'd rather die to the old than live like I'm old I'm gonna take it off and the Bible says that when I come to Christ (laughs) I'm a new creation old things They just can't stay. They just pass away. All things become new. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't believe that God wants you to carry another string for another day. I don't believe that Jesus wants you to carry another weight that he's already paid for. Another addiction, another habit, another hobby, another hindrance, another hidden sin another hatred, another bitter pain, I believe right now today. See, some of us need a process. Some of us need some mileage, but a lot of us just need one moment in the presence of Jesus. And we can go from being bound with a spirit of infirmity for 18 years, and we can stand up in the sanctuary and walk out as if we never had even been bound. I don't know your past. I may not have even named your struggle. What you carry might not have even been something that you did. It may be something that was done to you. But I'm telling you, when Jesus spread his arms wide on the cross, he did it so that you didn't have to carry the weight of your past, whether it was something that was done or something done to you. He did it so that you could be free. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. That is his will. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me this morning?
Some of you are already worshiping. I want to encourage you. Just go ahead and continue. If you're in this room today, you're a follower of Jesus, but you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. You feel like you've come to a crossroad. You believe in him. You just feel like you're stuck. Maybe it's a habit that you need to lay down. Maybe it's a hobby that you need to do less. Maybe it's a hindrance or a hidden sin that you've allowed to stay around. And maybe it was unforgiveness that you've allowed to fester into hatred. And I'm telling you, Jesus paid for all of that once and for all. So you might have carried it in here, but you don't have to walk out with it. And I want to invite you right now, if that's you, I want you to let go of those things. I want you to see yourself spiritually throwing those things to the side. And now I want you to open up your hands. Some of you may need to lift them to heaven and worship him freely because you've not holding on to those things any longer. And you want to reach out and hang on to him. You want to lift up your arms and be free of that shame, of that string, of that path, of that burden, of that issue. Father, we present it to you today and we ask Lord that you would take our cares because you care for us if you're in the room right now and you need to give your life to Jesus you need to receive salvation maybe you fit into one of those categories that I was describing earlier I'm telling you God doesn't care where you've been he cares where you are and where you're going He wants to forgive you, make your path straight. He wants to cleanse you and fill you with his spirit and you to learn how to hear his voice and heed his voice. And you live the life that he created you to live, but it begins with surrender. It begins with repentance, turning away from the old and turning to him. If that's you, if you're in the room today and you need to receive salvation, you need to recommit your life to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time. With heads bowed and and the church praying right now that the Holy Spirit would move freely, I want to invite you just to open up your hands right where you're standing. You don't even have to lift them. Just open them up. And we're going to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ before we walk out of this place today because we still believe in the simplicity of prayer and confession who is faithful and just to forgive and to begin the process of healing. That's our Heavenly Father. So let's do this together. Come on, church. Let's encourage them together. Let's say this out loud. Let's pray it together. Jesus, forgive me for my sin for my shame, for my past, the things I've done, things were done to me, things my family did, the areas where I was stuck, free me from the things I know, the things I don't know. I believe you paid once and for all. You gave your life so I could live. So take my life and make it yours. I will follow you with all of my heart, all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.